Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Jones gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is, Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. G'day everybody, welcome to episode number three of Inside the Ropes. Top to tail, uh, your coverage of Australian golf. Annie Mark, lovely to be here again in the host seat alongside Mark Hayes. It wouldn't be inside the ropes without him. Hello, Hayes. Hello, Murray, and great to have a third show up and running. Who said it wouldn't last? Speaking of third, what about the third wheel that we have oh. in the studio today? One of the most renowned golf riders uh, in the great nation of Australia. Never actually seen the man. You would have played golf with him a few times. Can you vouch for his bona fides with club in hand? I can vouch that he's a legitimate 14 handicapper. <laughs> so can go low, but can spray it all over the joint as well. At least one of those is true. Martin Blake, of course, is the man we speak about. Hello. Gisella. Hello, gentlemen, and uh, congratulations on this little show. Hopefully I can add something to it today. I'm not sure about this third banana thing, though. Did I say banana or wheel? I may have said wheel. wheel. Yeah, I think Hazy might have called you a banana. Uh, If you are listening for the first time, make sure you subscribe to the show. Subscribe on iTunes, whatever your favourite podcast uh, app is, or Stitcher. And we want you to leave reviews. Reviews are really good. I'm told algorithms are part of this thing. And if you leave a review and it's got a lot of stars in the review, then it bumps you up the kind of pecking order in terms of how these things are found. And to that end... We actually had a couple of reviews this week. Brett Rankin and Scoob02 both gave us a glowing endorsement. So to you two fellas, uh, magnificent work. Thank you very, 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 very much. So um, that's, the, that's all that. Not that we're in the business of sucking up for good reviews, but we could read you out if you do leave us one this week. Oh, we'll mention your name. Yeah. Oh, that's the least we'll get uh, <laughs> through. There's a lot to talk about today. Uh, there's guests popping up all over the place. Uh, Nick Flanagan's not too far away from joining us. We're already in kind of US Open mode, even though we got the St. Jude. This week before we get to Aaron Hills, he qualified... The whole sectional qualifying is a fantastic story. I love. Well, I wish we could see that back here in Australia. I'd love to see yeah. a bit more of that. It's extraordinary what players go and the quality of players who actually miss out uh, is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean they start at local qualifying, and there's a lot of outstanding tour pros who don't get through local qualifying. So uh, yeah, the sectional qualifiers are very high standard, and uh, you know a lot of the guys. Uh, you know, play some outstanding golf, shoot great numbers and still don't make it. Uh, we'll talk to Nick in a few minutes and he's, he shot the lights out the other day and was in a fight for his life right until the very end. And, you know, he's 11 under through 36 holes and wasn't sure about things until probably the his 33rd, 34th hole. So, you know, high standard. So there's 156 spots in the US Open field, Andy. Mm. They had... 9,485 <laughs> entries. That's true. Yeah. 9,485, and that's not even the record. Well, my understanding was on the last – like, the, was it the last day of US Open qualifying, there were 902 players vying for 72 spots? Is yeah. that, I think that – so once you get through all 
the local division or whatever the layers are, whatever names they put to it, and you get to the final day of section, which I think was on June 5 over there in the States. You've got 902 players teeing it up. Amongst them are major championship winners, mm. multiple winners on multiple major tours around the world. Steve's tricker got him. Exactly, exactly, which the Yanks are overplaying to a massive degree. <laughs> the whole Steve Stricker story, which we might talk about on the way through. But he's a good example of what you're both talking about. I mean, he's a lock to be a Hall of Famer at some point in the future. Uh, he's from the home state of Wisconsin of the Open next week, and, yep. he, and he still couldn't get a start. Like he, you know, he had to fight his way through, just like he would if, you know, Blakey, if you drop your handicap down to two, you could have a crack. Yeah, well, <laughs> that might be a few years away. Hazy. I'm just working at it. No, Steve Stricker. I mean, he's t- basically retired. Fifty. Uh, so they they bring a tournament to his backyard. And he mm. said, "All right, I'll go and play that one." And his wife's on the bag. So there's mm. all that. And the Americans were very much as Americans do. All the American golf media were very. Uh, they should have given him, you know, an invitation in, and they mm. shouldn't have made him go through. It's an hour and two minutes away from where he was born. Yeah. The golf course, for goodness' sake. They were all pleading that the USGA give him a spot, but uh, it wasn't. Really. Trevor Hearn's also going to join us. Adam Scott's had some stuff to say before we move on to other matters away from the US Open. Um, Scotty's had a fair bit to say about the setup of Erin Hills uh, and US Open courses, uh, generally speaking. We'll have a chat about that amongst ourselves. Trevor Hurden, uh, Tournament Director of Golf Australia, is going to join us as well to have a chat about what they do to actually make these US Open courses as penal as they have um, in you know through the history of time. Uh, there's a heap of other stuff we'll get to on the way through, but Nick Flanagan does join us on Inside the Ropes from his home in San Antonio. He has qualified for the US Open. He's been good enough to join us. G'day, Nick. Congratulations, mate. Thank you very much. 63 and you shot 68-63. Um, when you walked off the course, I don't know how long, uh, how, how many other players were still out on the course when you signed for that 63, but did you know that that was going to be good enough? Uh, yeah, so I guess I, I didn't really want to check any scores um, kind of coming down the stretch there. I just wanted to concentrate on what I was doing and um, I ended up looking at my phone. I had the I had the side up to check my phone on on the last hole and I wanted to hit my tee shot and then check it after that. So I hit my tee shot and then just quickly quickly checked the scores and, and saw that I had a, a bit of breathing room, but I hit a left off the tee and there's water down there and a bunch of trees and I didn't know whether I went in the water or, or where it was. But, um, yeah, I ended up getting down there and had a decent shot to kind of get to the green and ended up hitting a unbelievable shot to about a foot and tapped it in and ended up kind of doing it comfortably in the end. But it was, um, it was pretty... Pretty long day, those 36 holes, that's for sure. So, Nick, before we get to the backstory, I mean, 11 under through 36 holes, it shows you're not just going to be making up the numbers at Aaron Hills. It's, uh, it's, it's good quality golf, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, some of the best golf I've, golf I've played in you know the past couple of years, and it's been, uh, it's been nice this year to be playing full-time again and, and not having to kind of play play one week and take three weeks off um, due to some of the injuries I've had but uh, I've been playing some great golf this year in, in some smaller events and um, yeah it was nice to kind of see it see it pay off and yeah I'm not, not planning on going up there and, and making up the numbers planning on doing you know what what I can up there it's obviously going to be a different golf course and uh, it looks like it's going to be a bit of a beast but um, I like those tough golf courses so Let's wind the clock back a few years here, Nick. 2003, you win the US Amateur, uh, and you, you won, I think at the time, the second Australian only to, ever to do so. Obviously, Curtis has joined that group. But at the time, everyone here and around, especially around Newcastle, your home base, thought you know you were the next big thing. And, and with all due respect, you've had a great few results during the years, but things haven't panned out the way you probably originally intended, have they? 
No, I think um, you know some people. Some people are good at handling that stuff at a, at a young age and go on to bigger and better things, and uh, others kind of have their have their own ways of dealing with it. And um, yeah, it didn't didn't pan out the way that I thought and the way a lot of other people thought. Um, but you know, it's I mean, I, I've got nothing to complain about. Golf's given me everything that I have at the moment, so uh, and it doesn't owe you anything, that's for sure. But I definitely could have gone gone about things a little differently when I was um, out on tour and. You know, next time, next time it happens, I'll uh, I'm, I'm a lot different person. Well, I'm a different person month to month these days, but um, I'm a hell of a lot different person than I was ten years ago when I was out there. So, um, just just trying to get better every day. Nick, it's Martin Blake here. Um, just with hindsight, we can look back now. Was it the best thing for you when you won that US Amateur because it created enormous expectations at home and probably in your own mind as well? Do you think, with hindsight? It, it maybe uh, wasn't the best thing for you in a, in a sort of weird way. Um, yeah, I don't. Th- I don't so much think it was the amateur that did it. Uh, I, I probably would have stayed amateur for a couple more years if I didn't win it. Um, that that would that would have been a certainty. But uh, I guess being thrust out there so quick and and then all of a sudden you know turning pro and I played pretty well the first three years I was a professional. I kept gradually every year increasing my uh, performances and, and ended up getting out on tour and then that was kind of my main goal and then once I achieved it I think I just got a little lost while I was out there and, and didn't really know how to handle it and you know things didn't work out very well for me that year um, and I guess it just kind of snowballed a little bit from there and then my expectations were so high from from then on that um, it was hard to hard to reach them. So, what, what was your best finish on a PGA Tour event that year? Uh Tied for ninth that year. Yeah, was my best. Where was that? In Milwaukee, actually, which is where we're playing next week. So there you go. Hopefully that hopefully that says something. Good track record in Wisconsin. That's got to be handy, uh, mate. You got you you had your battlefield promotion in two thousand and seven with your three wins on the nationwide tour, which you know only again just like the US Amateur happens to the really good golfers. You don't you don't mistake your way into that. Walk us through that season where you did finish well in Milwaukee and 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 also. Uh, you know how how the wheels sort of ca- came off the top end of that career from two thousand and nine onwards. Yeah, it's um, it's it's one of those things that I, it's it's kind of hard to put a put a finger on it. Just I got out there. I didn't. I spent the previous two or three years as a pro, traveling with friends, and you know, a good little community down on that nationwide tour with your know, room with your buddies and. You know, just enjoying it, and then I got out on tour, and it was, you know, there was a bunch of different stuff going on. I was traveling by myself, and just found it hard to kind of fit in out there. I'm not, I'm obviously didn't play very good golf either, but um, you know, one kind of goes in hand with the other, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't enjoy it out there, to be honest, compared to how I enjoyed it on the uh, on the nationwide tour at the time. Obviously. You know, winning golf tournaments and, and playing well helps you enjoy it, but it was definitely something that I didn't handle very well as a 22 or 23 year old, however old, or however old I was then. So obviously a series of injuries, but then last year I had the good fortune to catch up with you at Oakmont with the, obviously the scene of your 2003 US Amateur Triumph. But you're on the bag for a really good mate in Aaron Price last year at the US Open, the corresponding event to next week, and. I saw an, a little bit of a glint in your eye. I don't think it's unfair to say that you know you had unfinished business. Is that a is that a fair comment? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, obviously, um, it was 
it was great a pricey to to let me come up there and caddy for him and um you know being being at Oakmont where I won the amateur um I hadn't actually been back since so it was a, it was a trip to to be up there for for a US Open I would have loved to have been playing but I think it almost did um did better things for me being able to carry the bag for him and just kind of experience that atmosphere again and um obviously I didn't think the next year I'd be playing in the US Open but it's um yeah, it definitely definitely gives you some inspiration. Just going to any of those tour events and kind of seeing how it goes down and getting those juices flowing again, um, every, every little bit of it helps uh, trying to move forward for sure. Now you're surging forward now, Nick. You're only 32, which yeah, it's uh, you know it's yeah. it's a peak age golf really. But during the dark years, what was the low, low, low point? Do you reckon? And did you did you think about? You must have thought about it at different times, just chucking it away and doing something else. Oh yeah, for sure. This, I mean, uh, the years just kind of melt into one another now. Um, but yeah, definitely. I mean, even that first year out of out of playing on tour in '09, I was pretty close to um, to kind of pulling up pulling up stumps and hanging them up. But that was just as a 24 year old, it was just one of those things where you kind of need to get over it. And it's all relative. It was uh, it was hard for me at the time, but it's probably a lot easier than a lot of other things that people have going on in the world. So to me, it felt like a big thing, but, um, you know, it took me, you know, a few years to realise and get a bunch of stuff out of my system. And I think I'm finally starting to get to that point where I am enjoying it again. And I think uh, moving back to San Antonio and hanging out a lot with um, my my father-in-law, who also plays golf, he's kind of got me enjoying golf again. So that's been, uh, that's been a lot of fun. That, Nick, that sounds like a pivotal thing. I was talking to Hazy, and I know you had a bit of a conversation with him yesterday teeing this up, and mm. the way you're kind of keeping yourself in golf shape these days, is it different now, the way you're... you're you, do, how different do your weeks look like now than they did sort of seven or eight or nine years ago? Yeah, well, I think when I was younger, I was never a big... Um, I was never a big ball basher. I was more of a kind of go and play and, you know have your time off, have three or four days off and your weeks off and, and then go out, show up to a tournament fresh, not, no swing thoughts in your head, just go out there and get the ball in the hole. And I mean, it's cliche, but that's all you got to do. It doesn't matter if it looks good or not. And um, I think I got away from that for a long time and was trying to, was trying to make perfect golf be um, the thing that was going to get me back out on, on tour and playing, playing good golf again, rather than just scoring and yeah. enjoying it and getting the thing in the hole. And, since I've come back here, um, that's pretty much what we do now. I'll, like even today, I went out to the golf course. I was there for 30 minutes, went out, did exactly what I needed to work on, a few short game things, and everything felt great. So I was like, well, I'm not going to stand. I'm not going to stand on the back of the range and hit 100 balls and try and find something that find something wrong that isn't there. And um, so I just came home and you know, did some stuff around the house and, and got away <laughs> from it. And I haven't had to think about golf all day, which is the best way to be because if you can keep your Keep your brain clear. That uh, that's you know half the battle. Nick, you had a few pretty serious injuries, including a back injury. Do you reckon that further to what Andy was just saying, the drudgery of standing hitting balls for seven or eight hours on a range is something that people get trapped into, and, and it, it was no good for your game in hindsight. Yeah, no doubt. That's what that's what caused my um, my surgery with my thumb was just you know three or four years of constant hitting golf balls at the back of range, trying to fix my golf swing, trying to perfect it, trying to hit good shots. And 
I just put too much load on my body and, you know, things started to break down slowly but surely. And um, the more I worked out and the more I hit balls, the kind of worse it got. So, um, you know, sometimes it works for some people. Some people can do a VJ thing. You look at him back in the day, that's what that's what he used to do. But um, everybody's brain works in a different way. And when I was playing my best golf, I'd have two weeks off where I didn't touch a club and come out and play a tournament and have a good result. So... I think um, once you kind of get into those stages where you're chasing it, you're really chasing playing well again, you think you have to put more work in, more work in, more work in, but sometimes people just don't don't roll like that. I know Mark Leishman's one of those guys who, you know, he, I think he, when he practices more, he actually plays worse. So there's a few people that kind of work the opposite. And you want a bit of balance in your life, Nick. There's a, another Australian pro out there who has got a name that's generally, you know, in the top five, sort of five or ten players in any tournament that he plays in who doesn't mind getting a surfboard out every now and again. I think Jeff Ogilvy doesn't mind having a surf every now and again as well. But I read with a great deal of interest um, that you're into it as well. Um, how You live in San Antonio. Where, how far do you have to go before you can find a wave that's reasonable to surf in that neck of the woods? Yeah, so that's um, that was one of the uh, that was one of the negatives about moving back to Texas. We moved back in December. Um, we've been living in Jacksonville for the last six years. Yeah, right. Been able to surf on the reg, but yeah, moving back out here kind of makes that tough. But we used to go on a, you know a bunch of surf trips during the year, and was lucky enough to go on a trip with um, a few of the industry guys and uh, Adam Scott and a few of those fellows to Nicaragua a couple of years ago. But uh, there is actually one of those um, those new uh, wave pools or <laughs> I guess those standing waves yeah, yeah. Wave. it's um, in uh, Enland Surf it's called in Austin so it's about an hour and ten minutes door to door for us um, which I haven't been able to get to yet because it gets booked out pretty quick but it's a you know, solid chest high wave and you get an hour and probably you know, ten or eleven waves you get out of it so I'll definitely be um, that'll be something that I'll be looking into to kind of get rid of the bug every now and then. Can you make sure somebody films that for us and sticks it up on whatever social media platforms you're participating on? We need to see that. Yeah, yeah I've, I'm, I've, I've taken it easy on the social media the last year or so. I've, I've got Instagram and that's it now. The uh, the old Twitter and and the news feed and all that stuff was, was too much for me to handle, so I, uh, I I got off that stuff. But, yeah, I'm sure the wife will uh, come with me and do some sunbaking. Awesome. I'll try and get <laughs> her and film some of it. Now, over 10 years in uh, the States, Nick, uh, how come you haven't got a uh, American twang? You've done exactly. brilliantly there. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's it's definitely beneficial to, to have the Australian accent over here. People like the Australians, so it's always... Uh, You've got Paddy Mills in your town as well, Paddy Mills there. I don't know whether you know Paddy at all. I haven't met Paddy yet, mm. no. I haven't been to a game. We kind of got here, um, like I said, we got here late last year and... And I've been out in the road quite a lot, so we haven't got to a Spurs game yet. But my brother was—he's uh, been a die-hard Spurs fan since he was six years old. So um, we've kind of got a little bit of it in the family. So I'd, I'd love to meet him at some point and maybe get him out and get him playing a playing a few rounds of golf. I've met a couple of the old um, the old Spurs guys. Bruce Bowen plays up at TPC where I uh, where I do my practice and played a little bit of golf with him and, and had some good chats with him. He's a great bloke and he's in the media scene now. He does a little bit of stuff for ESPN. But, yeah, there's a good community of sports people here and it's a little bit more low-key than some of the other major cities in, in Texas, so we love it up here. Nick, that's what I wanted to ask you about, finally, for me. Um, your, your beautiful bride, Corinne, you married late last year. 
um, is is an, a, the daughter of someone known to most of the people in the golf community, Tom Byram, who's been a fantastic player, won several times um, PGA Tour events, US Champions Tour events as well. Uh, you, you found a bit of a happy niche playing with him and a few other decent names. You just mentioned a couple there, but uh, you've, you've got quite the crew there in San Antonio, just sort of keeping it real, haven't you? Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's great. Like I said, we uh, we play a lot of fun golf up here when we're when we're home, and we don't we don't stand up on the back of the range. A bunch of those, I'm sure he doesn't mind me saying it, but those older boys they like <laughs> to go and warm up, hit their hit their ten balls, and get onto the first tee and kind of get it over and done with. And it's um it's been been absolutely great for for my golf like it's taken all the pressure off me trying to be perfect and I'm still a young brat to them so even though I feel like I'm 50 years old sometimes they'll uh they'll they'll tell me straight away if I'm acting like an upstart so <laughs> yeah him and um Cam Beckman one of the other US Tour players um who's won a couple of times and Jimmy Walker plays a little bit and there's a former baseball player Josh Beckett who's won a couple of World Series and um Red Sox no- Red Sox play. Nation my friend Yes, sir. Yeah, Red Sox and the Marlins, I believe, he won with. Uh, won with. And um, he hits it further than anybody I've ever played with in my life, pro- wow. professional or amateur. He hits it unbelievably far off the tee, but he's obviously got some arm speed because he used to throw it 100 mile an hour. So, um, yeah, a bunch, bunch of good fellas, and it's been great for me. And does Tom give it to you when he sort of sneaks one out <laughs> past you or takes the chocolates? Yeah, he doesn't sneak too many past me, that's for sure. But he hits uh he hasn't missed a fairway since the eighties, so <laughs> he's uh he's always straight up the middle. But he uh yeah, we don't we don't like losing to each other. We're competitive but he um you know, he's my biggest fan at the moment in, in trying to get me back and playing golf. He he always tells me how much potential I still have and and it's um you know, it's nothing but uplifting to, to play golf with these fellas. Nick, it's awesome to see you back where so many of us think you uh, clearly and obviously belong. And it's great to hear that you're enjoying the game again. Um, thanks so much for joining us on Inside the Ropes and good luck uh, up at Aaron Hills next week. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for all your support. Thanks, Nick. Nick Flanagan joining us on Inside the Ropes. G'day. I'm my golf ambassador, Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for my golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment. And just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. Walking the fairways and the greens with the Aussie stars at home and away. Golf Australia's Inside the Ropes. Well, a breath of fresh air, Nick Flanagan there. He's just got such a great outlook on the game now, guys. Uh, it's it's fantastic to hear his voice like that, isn't it? You just want to hear a guy say that he's enjoying playing. Spot yeah. on. You just want to hear that. And he obviously lost his enjoyment. And you hear guys like Jeff Ogilvie talk about playing with their mates, even for you know for two shekels in Arizona there. He loves it still. And that's a real key for for Nick there. He's obviously enjoying mucking around with you know Josh Beckett and Tom Byram and all those guys. It's it's a it's a great fillip for what's ahead, I reckon. For and him. until you're in the shoes of these guys who win something like the US Amateur, and then everybody tells you you're going to make it, you're going to be the next big Correct. thing, you know, and you get lauded because very few Australians you know have done it. Um, then when it doesn't happen. When it doesn't happen three or four or five years down the track and you're in that kind of 27, 28 years of age and you're starting to face the reality that, um, geez, this could be all over. Like yeah. This could be all over before I'm even 30. Um, the white, that, that must hit you like a ton of bricks. 
What's he doing, Hazy, in terms of his, you know, okay, he's going to have next week he plays the US Open. What happens after that? I think he's he still knocking it around small tours, but he's actually mm. living a pretty good life there. Like he's he's developing a base, which he hasn't really had. And he's, he's been trying to do the small tour thing out of Jacksonville for years, but he's found a real niche there in Texas, which I, I think is fantastic. Yeah, he, he. I, I could just, just one story before we leave, Nick. I was in the uh, locker room interviewing him last year at Oakmont. And uh, you know, that, as I said to him, that glint in his eye came back and he, you know, he obviously concurred. Aaron Price was the man who qualified on that occasion. He's pretty much his best mate. And next week at Aaron Hills, he's actually going to return the favour and Price is going to carry his bag too. So it's a, it's, a, it's a great sort of circle there for Nick Flanagan. But one quirky thing before we do go, uh, I was talking to him. We stopped the video rolling and uh, this person rolled up and said, you look so much like a guy who was a superstar here about 10 or 11 years ago. You won a US Amateur. I don't know if you know him, but his name was Nick Flanagan. <laughs> It was really is that weird. right? Yeah, it was a bizarre moment. Hey, we spoke to Al last week about this, uh, with apropos of the price on the bag and Flanagan on the bag. Dimi Papadatis was on the bag of Andy Dote uh, when he was in contention two weeks ago in Europe, and um, I don't know whether this is an Australian phenomenon. I don't know whether this happens um, with other touring pros from around the world, but um, I've got to say. I love it. I love the fact that if you're not playing and you're in that neck of the woods and you want to be on the course and get a sense for you know how these events play and how you've got to think your way through it, I think it's a fantastic thing that Australian players um, seek out from other Australian players. In my experience, and Hazy, you might know a bit more, but I think it's quite unusual. I haven't seen a lot of it. But I noticed that Stacey Peters did caddy at the mm. interstate series uh, for the, some of the Victorian players. I'm not sure whether it was one player uh, just recently in Perth. So, you know, it, it's happening. She shared her time and was a mentor for the Victorian team more broadly, and she's actually going across to do the same for an Australian contingent in the UK. I think she's already left. So, yeah, mm. there's a real camaraderie and, and a sense that if I can't do it, I want my mate to do it. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I don't think you yep. can ever beat that. So it gets us into um, Aaron Hills in the US Open, which, as we said right off the top, is a week away, but the focus very much you know, get sharper uh, the closer we get to major championships. And obviously, um, you can, it's an obvious reason as to why they're the four big tournaments of the year and we build up to these and players build up to them. Adam Scott was interesting this week. He's playing, I think, in his 16th consecutive US Open. And he's come out and, you know, raised... It's sort of the elephant in the room and, uh, you know, the setup of US Open courses and the USGA have got it too hard and players don't enjoy the brutal kind of penal test that uh, the USGA clearly want to set up for its national championship. Trevor Hurton's about to join us, um, Tournament Director of Golf Australia, obviously. Do I, how, just before we get to Trevor, do you like the personality of the US Open? I reckon that the US Open, that's its character. It's a tough grind. I really believe this. So I didn't like what Adam Scott said. Mm. I think we haven't even got to the tournament yet, Mari. You know, like, and they're whinging already. You know, the players can be pretty precious sometimes, some of the players. I think I did some study. Uh, the last three US Opens, all three players, uh, DJ, Spieth and Kymer, all shot under par. Kymer shot nine under. Mm. Uh, you know, prior to that, a couple of over par winners, then McElroy 16 under. So you have to go way back. You have to go back to Cabrera 207 where he was five over, and the year before that, Jeff Ogilvie five over. So, that, that, you know, you do get some ridiculous setups, and it has happened in the past, but it hasn't been happening recently, I, I don't think. So mm. let's hope that they, they get it right next week. I'll take the contrary opinion. 
Oakmont last year, had it not had rain, the winner would have been five or six over. It was a, it was a, just a beast. And luckily, the ball stopped when they had just you know five meters of rain on the Thursday afternoon. Uh, the week, the year before at Chambers Bay, um, the players all bit their tongue massively yeah, yeah, until yeah. until they came off the course either on Friday afternoon knowing they missed the cut or Sunday afternoon knowing there was no more repercussions from the USJ and they all let loose. But was that set up, or they just didn't like the course? Uh, a combination of both, I yeah. think, Blakey. But you know, the greens. Just Gary Player didn't like it very much. No, he absolutely candid. The greens just melded into the fairways. The grass was the same. They were all rock hard. It was just brutal surface to putt on. They were so bumpy. It didn't look ready for play, if you ask me. No, and walking around, it was it was a you know a really intriguing venue, just like Aaron Hills is going to be for spectators to get around. And and that's you know partly what Scotty's getting at. I think it's not just the setup of the course; it's the setup of the tournament more broadly. Mm. Uh, it was pretty wide ranging crack. I, you know, for what it's worth, I actually agree with what he says. I'd rather see guys making seven or eight under uh, as a rule. I don't. I don't. But then it'd what, be just another tournament. Yeah, but I don't want to see the best players in the world chopping around at scores that you know might win a, a chook run down at uh, Kulua. <laughs> They're pretty precious. They're pretty precious. Well, it'll be interesting with Aaron Hills because it's a new course that's been developed, and that you know they've gone out and chased the U.S. Open. Jack Nicklaus said this week that he was disappointed they'd taken it there, and he you know he's unapologetic. He's old school. Says that uh, he'd like him to take it to the you know the famous courses yeah, of right. America. Yep. Well, Trevor Hurton, who sets up the uh, courses for our major, of course, the Australian Open every single year, has been good enough to join us. We've been listening to this conversation, and we say welcome to Inside the Ropes to you, Trev. Thank you. Good to be with you. What do they do? Uh, we should. Uh, we'll, uh, no, we'll ask you right off the top. Do you like watching the US Open? Do you like the kind of last man standing grind that the USGA clearly want it to be? Look, I think. Uh one thing that's happened in the, probably the last five years is that they've they've softened their attitude up uh, with the greens and that a little bit to what it used to be. It used to be a nightmare. Players were just, you know, players couldn't handle it. They just couldn't handle it. Every, play, every player that played a shot into a green got the same result because they were too bouncy and they were too fast and everyone ended up in the same spots when they missed. Now, they have softened it slightly. With the, you know, they don't have these greens as rock hard as they used to have them and they won't have them at 14 feet. And the weather dictates a lot what happens. Now, I note this week or next week they're going to have some winds, 39, 52, 35 k's over the four days. So it's going to be a test, but I think you'll find that they will be a little more receptive than what they've been in the past. Um, again, the rough, it's an undulating type of golf course as, as we look at it. Uh, the fairways will be somewhat narrow in places, but uh, the rolling fairways will certainly... Uh, demand generous first cuts. So three metres they should have around for the first cut to stop the balls rolling into this thick rough. And when I say the thick rough, Mm. let's hope that the rough will be reasonably high, but let's hope it's not thick down below so that every player's got to chop it sideways. The one thing players do not like is chopping a ball sideways. So they want to be able to get some club on the ball to progress it forward. So that's two of the main points of the setup. So, Trevor, it's not just, as you say there, it's not just about green speed, is it? Because that's what we all think. We've cranked up a course, the greens are going to roll at 15. It's not just that, is it? They've got more think tricks at their disposal? Yeah, of course. You know, they can they narrow these feetways. They'll get the roughs up, and, and they'll push these pin positions to the to the very limit, even some, somewhat banking them into the sides of mounds where they probably don't need to go. But they'll do that just to put it, that knife in a little bit more for the player. <laughs> They do. You know, you, 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 you laugh at it, but in fact, if they move a, a normal pin position another 18 inches, it'll be up slightly banking into a bank, and then it, it'll force the player to 
you know, really have a good look and a good read and get it absolutely perfect. But that's what they do. They push it to the to the absolute limit. So, Trevor, when a player like Adam Scott says what he says, and, you know, as Hazy kind of mentioned before, players walk off a course like Chambers Bay and it gets the sort of commentary, it draws the sort of commentary that it drew. Um, as a as somebody who sets the course up, do you take that on board? Do you actually listen to that? Oh, some, look, the players come to us from time to time and say, would you have ever thought to do this, that or the other? And, and sometimes you you say yes and sometimes you'd love to do some things but the weather leading into the tournament doesn't allow you. For example, we we don't like to have rough right up around our greens. We like to move the ball away, let the ball run away from the greens if you if you played a bad shot. Um, and then other parts of the golf course where you'd like to have a little bit of semi-rough, the the weather hasn't allowed you to bring that on. So, you know, it's all it all dictates with weather as well, but it's just the overall plan, the initial plan is what do you want to see at, at this new golf course. Now, I think it's going to be pretty demanding anyway with the undulations and the elevated greens and, and the winds, as I say, because it's right on Lake Michigan there or just near it. Um, it'll be demanding, but it, um, I just hope they have got the rough right and I certainly wouldn't like them to see go, go back to these rock-hard 14-feet green speeds. So, Trev, do you have a score in mind when you're setting up the Australian Open mm. course? No. No, I don't. I choose to uh, focus on the test of the course as it was designed, so to speak, and let the skills of the players in major competition uh, fight out the best and whoever wins on the days, that'll be the score. Trevor and I were having a good look at the scorecard the other day, you guys, and uh, I don't think that Trevor, Trevor might know more than this. I don't think they'll play it off the tips of every tee block every day. But it's over seventy eight hundred yards this course if they were to tiger it up the whole way. Yeah. I think you're right. I think they'll move some of those short par fours, make them reachable. Uh and again it depends on the winds. You know, obviously if the the same holes into the wind they'll probably uh move them forward a little bit just to bring some variety into it for the players. Otherwise it's just gonna be a mad slog all the way around, which the players do not like. They like some variation. On that, Trevor, when you set up um, your courses here in Australia for for opens, uh, we all we've been having the conversation and debate and argument about the ball for a long, long time now. Yeah. Do you do you take the 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 ball carry distances and how far they're hitting the thing? Do you take that into account when you're, you know, putting in a pin or setting up a tee? Is it, it, does the distance the ball goes? Is that sort of somewhere in your thinking? Yes, it is. It is. You know, you, the players now fly the ball pretty much 300 yards. That's the carry. So if we get around 330, we create a pinch point in the fairways where the fairway might narrow, where, you, where your rough might creep up a little mm. bit, all that sort of thing. Uh, if they're coming in with a four iron, you know, you're not going to stick the pin three and a half metres from the edge. So you're going to give them be a bit more generous. Again, we try to entertain the spectators and please the player. They want to enjoy. We want them to come back next year. Hey, that's Dustin Johnson, big... blow that right over there, Trev. Three three thirty. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, he he will. <laughs> no, I mean, in all seriousness, you, you, there are things that can go wrong, aren't there? I mean, you know, I, I think back to the two hundred two Australian Open, which at the time you weren't you weren't involved in the setup, but it was at Victoria. For those listeners who who might vaguely remember it, but they had to stop playing uh, on the first day with uh, with greens that uh, were you know the ball was horseshoeing around the hole and. The one that Stephen Allen won. There's some pretty bad things that can go wrong if you uh, if you're kind of not on your game, aren't there? There is. You've got to be. You've got to be smart on your feet. You've got to watch the get the latest weather. And one thing that's important in Australia is we've got to respect, and everyone's got to respect and protect the investment in these tournaments. Mm. Spot on. Absolutely. Um, do you like it? There's a question. I'm not sure you actually answered the question right off the top. Do you like watching the U.S. Open? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. 
because there's oh, somewhere along the line there's always a touch of brilliance. There is a touch of brilliance, and whether you know, you know, normally the better players do it. Like that, for example, that shot that Cameron Smith hit at Chambers Bay, I think it was, to two inches to yeah. that. Like that was a remarkable goal shot. Yeah, you know, those are the times. No, everyone will remember that the shot that Sergio hit from behind a tree, wherever that was. Uh, and ran around. I think there might have been Augusta, but you know, great shots stick in your mind. And the U.S. Open always produces some unbelievable goal shots. You say what you like about the way they set it up. We uh, we'll be getting up early in the morning uh, to watch it. There's no question about that, uh, mate. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate having your voice on the podcast. Pleasure. Thanks. Good Trevor Hurd, tournament director of Golf Australia, joining us on Inside the Ropes. It's I love it. I, I, I'm with you, Blakey. I agree. I, yeah. I love the I love the fact that this is the personality of the US Open. Correct. And you want the four majors with the players as well. They've they've got to, all got to have their own. If they all become a bit the same, um, then they don't stand apart. That they, they don't they don't have their own unique character. And I I must admit I love that about the US Open. Look, uh, I guess there's a line there, Andy. And I was just thinking back to you. Remember the one uh, at Shinnecock, I think it was 2004, when Retief Goosen won? Now, this is, what, this 13 years ago now. But that, it was virtually unplayable mm. on the last day. The greens were so bouncy and so fast. Now, that's on the wrong side of the line. But, you know, I reckon the last couple of years, as Trev said, they've probably got it back to the correct side of the line. It'd be interesting to see how Aaron Hills goes because it's being a new course. It's a linksy, you know, I've only mm. looked at pictures of it. It's a linksy style. Looks a bit like Moona Lynx to me. It's got the hay if you hit a really wide shot. Uh, but rolling fairways, stuff like that. So let's just hope that they, uh, Mike Davis from the USGA gets it right. I saw McDowell yesterday put out a thing maybe two days ago on, um, we're recording this on a Thursday morning, he, he's been out there having a hit already, mm. and he likened it to whistling straight. So he's got a real feel of that mm. about it. Um, we all know how that played out at the very end, which was you know full of controversy and drama. That's where Dustin end. hit out of the bunker. Yeah. And didn't realise he was in a bunker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, and that I mean that played okay. I, I'd, I'd rather did. I'd rather see. Um, I don't know about you two blokes, but I I like seeing major championships played on traditional looking golf courses, um, not necessarily overly tricked up obviously but if the conditions do come in and there's natural topography and there's you know water off there's wind off the water and these are the things that you want to see players at this level playing for one of the great prizes in golf get exposed to and you know I think that's I think that's that captures my imagination and attention for well, sure I'm all for not playing dartboard golf mm. as they do doesn't sound like you want 1600 to win the US Open I still want the scores to be possible and achievable mm. I just don't want them to be shoot, shooting four irons and having them come back five inches when they land that's, yeah. that's a different story I think but I think there's a lot to be said for knowing the course from a spectator's point of view and a, and a general understanding of the setup and we love Augusta every year and we know the nuances of every hole we know the Open Championship rotor. Uh, no one has a clue about Aaron Hills. I'm really looking forward to it. It looks a really funky course, but um, you know, no one's got a clue, and you can't say you, we can't have a conversation now about that little pot, pot bunker on the yeah, 15th. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, and, yeah. and I, I do think that lacks. What do we think uh, our chances going in? Have we got have we got confidence in uh, an Australian or Australians going into this one? So we've got Day, Scott, Leishman, Ormsby, Flanagan. That's right, Hazy. Yeah. Is anyone else? No. Uh, look, Jason Day worries me a little bit. He he was beaten in a playoff a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'm just worried about his back. That's that's a broader 
thing, mm. I think. I just think at his age, he's not even 30 yet. It really worries me about Jason, but he's probably the best chance, I'd say. I sort of think that Mark Leishman's our Smokey. I, I think he's started to prove his point uh, in major championships in the last three or four years. Uh, he's been a much more consistent performer over, over the 2017 season to date. And I, I know that he goes away and preps for these things. And if, if it blows, yeah. I always think he's a chance. And it's the Warner Bill Wonder. Yeah, <laughs> strong, strong chance. Because if you grow up playing down on that shipwreck coast, you have to play in the wind. And if it blows, as Trev said, not too far from Lake Michigan, if it blows up there, it's going to be full on. He's probably on the cusp leash, isn't he? He's uh, He's been you know in that top 100, top 50 for quite a few years now. And he's clearly... Uh, jumped up a little bit now, but he's not quite at the absolute elite level so far. Like to do that, he'd need to jump win. out and win a major. He, he's he's been routinely sticking his nose in the frame uh, in major championships in the last kind of five or six years. Though it's it's not. He uh, could easily un- have won the Open at well, St Andrews. That's right. Yeah. We're not yeah. unaccustomed to seeing the, you know the name Leishman on the leaderboard, you know, into the weekend. He's he's been he's been able to get himself in the mix. Um, I feel like he's. I feel like he's got one in him. I feel like he's clearly our number three now. Is he? Is he established now as behind Scott and Day as our our yeah. number three man? Yeah, he is now, isn't he? Yeah. Yep. I think if you actually look back a couple of years ago, we just expected Scotty to be there no matter what. He was every tournament he played, we'd see his name somewhere on the leaderboard, whether mm. it was right at the top or you know the second tier down. I think Leishman's getting to that stage without regularly sticking his head over the line. Like he's always in the mix to be leading Australian, whether that's third a win as it was at uh, at Bay Hill or whether it's 17th or something, I think he's becoming our most consistent golfer. Mm, mm. Um, speaking of, that's that's two weeks down or a week and a half down the track. Let's look back to, we spoke to um, Brett Coletta last week going into Memorial. Um, what did we think of, obviously our focus going into that was the three Young guns? Well, probably four. We should put Cameron Smith in the conversation. I mean, he's. Yeah. We, we focus focus on the other three, and we kind of left him. He's like become the old man <laughs> of the of the young fellows who are teeing up. But what do we make of their performance last week? Uh, I think I think Ryan Ruffles will be very disappointed with the the a blown chance. He ha- he only has so many uh, to to shoot a poor first round. Uh, it would not suit his cause at all. Um, more importantly for him, he just didn't have his normal rash of birdies. He, he's prone to having a few bogeys, mm. but he couldn't find a birdie, and that's very unlike him. Curtis Luck, um, you know, solid without being spectacular again, and I think Cam Smith probably needs to come home. From what, from what I understand, I think he's ready to come home, and he's sort of been waiting for the chance to sort of have a breather. But Brett Coletta, that's just one of the... Uh, standout achievements for a young guy, and then, as we said last week, Andy, it's such a big tournament now, Massive. the Memorial. Yeah, like it, it's the, all the players treat it with great reverence. He stood the test of time. He's been there from day one through day four, near the top of the leaderboard. Had a heap of bogeys, but never let it <clears throat> catch him unawares and. You know, nervous on the next tee, came back and fired another birdie. He shot a massive number of birdies. And the most impressive thing to me, looking at the stats after the tournament, he was near the top in driving distance. He was near the top in shots saved around the green. And he was the top in sand saves. So he's got the whole spectrum of things that you need to be a good tour player and a successful professional. He's pumped them out there in week two on the tour. And won 66 grand for finishing tied 25th. It, it goes That's okay, good, doesn't it? I heard, I heard him. Um, That'll help him. I heard him with the boys on RSN Breakfast during the week. And, it, the, and we spoke to him last week, you know, going into the tournament. 
he's got this matter-of-fact nature about him and tone about him that, that there's not that boyish um, excitement that uh, might necessarily seem kind of derail himself with uh, over-enthusiasm. He's kind of got this, for a young man, he's got this really nice um, perspective or con- inner control or inner belief. I'm not sure what the right um, phrase for it is, but if ever if ever you've got reading between the lines, if you've got a, lot, a, a read from a young man that he believes he was born to be there and he's ready to be in the mix of these sorts of events and, and higher um, offices and challenges down the track, he exudes, Brett Coletta exudes all of that. Mm. Uh, last year, the crowd was coming at him from behind in the uh, Queensland Open at the Brisbane Golf Club. Uh, they closed. He was looking a bit nervous in the front nine. And instead of sort of laying up on the 10th, which is a you know bog-standard length par four, uh, the safe way to play it is four iron, nine iron. He reached down, grabbed his driver, and hit it 358 metres. <laughs> I paced it out. It's downhill, but 358 metres, Blakey, to flop wedge territory and made it easiest to kick in birdies and just said to the field, well, I'm not backing off here. Mm. I'm going to win. And he, and Something he about did. him, isn't it? You know, grew, grew up on a golf course, grew up down at Sandhurst there, south of Melbourne, and uh, came through the VIS and the Golf Victoria programs and the Golf Australia programs. So that's a bit of a... A tick for the whole system, really, isn't it? And mm. Curtis Luck, Hazy, I just wanted to ask you about him. He made the cut again, mm. uh, finished tied 73rd, so he faded away a bit at the end. But he has made, I think, four cuts yeah. out of six this year. So it's good going, how, clo- how yeah. close is he to doing what he would need to do to get a cut? Is he probably one high finish away, or is he... I'd say he's two to three medium finishes away and, yeah. and one really high one. I think, you know, the numbers really start adding up here. If you can, like, if he had couple where Coletta was I think you'd be getting pretty close but the most pleasing thing from Curtis's aspect is you see him on social media or talking to the media in the states I'm starting to feel a bit more at home now it's not like it's a novelty to go and peg it up in a PGA event and I think that's the key for anyone so Andrew what happened last year Ryan Ruffles had the same situation last year where you get seven a maximum of seven sponsors invitations to play what you need to do is to get the equivalent number of FedEx Cup points that the number 200 player got or better so ryan ruffles was correct me hazy a point or two away yeah one part reen gibson actually sunk him on the last day of a, is that of right tour. yeah he just one, missed one out and literally. that's where curtis is this year he doesn't he got he's got to get the equivalent of getting into the top 200 on the fedex and he would get a, a ticket to play next it's year awesome. Card the, to play. the only thing with curtis uh, and blakey's 100 percent right he gets his seven sponsors invitations but he also gets two uh, courtesy and one of them was at the memorial courtesy of his US amateur mm. success last year so he, he's cashed in his chips he can't play the US Open as, and, he, and he failed the other day in qualification withdrew after the first round but uh, he does get another couple of cracks at it that Ryan didn't have last year so we want him to take take advantage while he can we should quickly whip around the rest of the globe with a focus on the Australians before we get to our next um, guest and uh, Nordia was played on the European the Nordia Masters played on the European Tour Richard Green was yeah. the best of the Aussies at uh, two under the car which is fantastic for Richard to you know obviously be and he was sort of early stages of that tournament kind of well and truly in the mix I don't know how big a story this Renato Paratore is going to be. We fell for this with Matteo Manicero about yeah. 10 years ago when he kind of burst on the scene as a teenager, a fellow young Italian, but in really tough conditions on the final day when sort of 70s, mid-70s and high 70s was kind of order of the day sort of stuff. Paratore played a really solid pro round of golf at 20 years of age. To beat Matt Fitzpatrick, Chris Wood sort of gifted it to him a bit in the end with his errant drive on 18 and had to take the drop, but 
have either of you seen enough of this Italian to because the raps on him are pretty big. The raps on him are significant, really. If you read some of the European stuff and listen to the conversations that are taking place around him, have you seen enough of him to form a view? Uh, short answer, no. He He's only 20 uh, and he had a good amateur career and I, I don't know much else about him, mm. Andy. He looks a player. He just mm. You know those guys who look a player, whatever the hell that means. He looks like he yeah. has got you know the 360 degree aspect of the game in his control. Looks like he's got just about everything you need in the bag, I reckon. And more in his camp there is, uh, you know, it wasn't just a run-of-the-mill European Tour right. event. I mean, he's beaten a couple of legitimate players. Fitzpatrick is a world-class player, if not already, definitely in the making. And, you know, it's a solid field there that he, he won in Sweden with. So that's always a good sign that you can beat good players. Spot on. Uh, LPGA Tour, they played in the shop right. Uh, Kari Webb, who we were talking about the week before, having seen Sarah Jane Smith go past her. In the world ranking, she becomes the best Australian at the end of it at four under the card. Uh, 11 under was the winning score there. The Symmetra, which we don't spend a lot of time talking about, um, do we just want to talk about Kari Webb before we get a wriggle on there or not? No, I just thought I ta- might have to claim some credit for Kari because I, I wrote on uh, where I wrote a piece about uh, the LPGA a couple of weeks ago in which uh, this is at golf.org.au, if people are listening and like to look at our and stuff. You should, have a, should have a look at it. Have a look at that. Um, and I had a line way down in the story, which was probably a bit of a barb, to be honest. But I gave it about one second's thought. I just said that Kari Webb, who uh, is struggling in what is expected to be her final year on tour, finished da-da-da-da-da-da. It was way down in the story, didn't think anything more of it. And, of course, I got a text from Kari uh, about a day later saying something along the lines, I don't want to reveal all of everything, what it said, but it basically said along the lines of, uh, do you know more about my career than, than what <laughs> what I do? So, uh, no, I just think uh, it, it's funny because Kari had her best finish of the year straight mm. away. So she's she hasn't had a top 10 this year. She's only made 35 grand in 10 tournaments. She's 94th on the uh, on the points list and her world ranks dropped to 86. I think that uh, Kari's interesting because she was desperate to play at the Olympics and she's been hanging on for that for two or three years. She's a real Olympic Olympic lover. Yeah. She loves all sports and she lo- she's very patriotic and she wanted to play at the Olympics. She got knocked out by Suo at the last minute because it went on world rankings. Sue O, the Victorian pro, knocked her out of the Olympics, which was a tragedy for Kari, but Mm -hmm. good luck for Sue. And Kari decided to – I thought she was going to retire from the the LPGA too. I think that she'll play some golf forever, but uh, I thought she was going to stop. But she said at the Women's Australian Open this year, well, I don't want to finish on that note, so I'm going to play another year. And I think that she's, you know, not been at her best – um, so I wrote that, and she wasn't happy with it. She's a feisty one. Twenty twenty, twenty twenty is not far away. Like it's, right. it comes up quicker than you think it does. If we can get uh, Carrie on here at some point in the future, oh, I can't yeah. wait. We're going to go one on one. It's just on spot on. Look, spot it's on. just swings and roundabouts, mate. It's just <laughs> part of the cut and thrust. Uh, the, we don't spend a lot of time focusing on the Symmetra, but we did mm. mention Hannah Green a couple of weeks ago, and she takes the lead into the final round uh, of that event. Um, Nana Madsen, Nana Kurtz Madsen, who we've seen out here playing in the Vic Open and a lot of the Australian women's events, she's journeyed out to Australian shores uh, often wins that event with a 66 in the final round. Hannah Green finishes tie six, shoots 73 in the final round, um, five under for the tournament. She'll be disappointed with what she did on day three. I think it was a three-rounder, I think. It was think. a three-rounder. Three-rounder. Yeah. Um, 
But another significant step in the right direction from an overall perspective. Absolutely. And she birdied the first hole, kicked a couple clear, and you probably start thinking, because she's such a good uh, last-day player, that you know she's going to have a nose in the, in the photo finish at worst here. But Nana Madsen actually finished second in the Women's Australian Open, by the way, earlier this year. Like She's a quality player. Just got the better of her, and she made a couple of bogeys late, which is uncharacteristic for Hannah. But the sixth position there solidified her spot in the top ten. I mean, she's up to number seven in the mm. in the race to the basically the race to get a, a card next year on the LPGA Tour, and that's starting to look a fairly promising situation, which is enormous. And while we're on young guys and girls uh, running around North America, the McKenzie Tour was fantastic for Cam Davis, young Sydney guys come through the programs. Uh, a top ten finish. It's only he's, he's still in a handful of his uh, starts as a professional. Like he's, you know, he's really starting to make his way already. Song. So keep an eye on the McKenzie Tour, formerly the Canadian Tour. Uh, Brett Coletta's up there this week. Brad Moles, Daniel Nisbet, uh, Oliver Goss is up there. It's really a, a good tour for our, our young guys, and something that I think we'll pay a lot more attention to this year. How much time have you watched Cameron Smith just swing a golf club? Camo. Oh. Fair bit. Love it. Oh, he has got a magnificent... Cameron Davis or Cameron Smith? Cameron, Cameron... Smith. We're oh, talking about Cam Davis. Oh, no, sorry. Davis. I mean Cam Davis. No, no, no. Yeah. Cameron Davis swinging a golf club. Well, I've seen He's him swing it left-handed as well as right-handed. That, that's a beautiful, beautiful If anyone, anyone listening, just... Is it on YouTube, Hazy? I think it is on YouTube. Cameron Davis can yeah. hit a left-handed shot basically pretty much as good as a right-handed shot. We don't, like that. Sick in the we don't like that, do we? That's not fun. <laughs> uh, just before we get on to our next matter at hand, uh, a great friend of the podcast, if I don't know whether he's listening to the podcast yet, but if he does, he'll become a great friend of it, Cam Percy. Uh, web.com shoots uh, 64 in the final round of the event won by Conrad Schindler, which is one of the great names in in world golf. He was on your list to watch, wasn't he? Conrad Schindler. <laughs> They're a nice work from you. Along with Jamie Love. Uh, shoots 34, climbs 34 places. No, it's... It was a, you know, yeah. He, I think he missed it. Uh, climbs 34 places to finish in a tie seven. Uh, he tees it up in St. Jude. And if St. Jude is the patron saint of lost causes, uh, I don't believe that Cam Percy is a lost cause. I still think that he is going to make some significant inroads on the PJ Tour at some stage. Does the winner of St. Jude get into the US Open? No. This year, they don't. I, uh, I think it's finished. The cutoff's done. Surely I, the winner of the last PJ Tour event leading in must get a spot. Actually, I'm not, that's a really good question. I'll try mm. and figure that out before the before end of the, the podcast. Cam okay. Percy, one of the only men in the world who got at a PGA Tour event, got into a playoff to win a PGA Tour event, and his opponent stepped up and hit it in the hole. Do you remember who it was? Jonathan Bird. Um, how stiff are you to have that How unlucky you? could you be? You're listening to Inside the Ropes. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program near you, visit swingfit.com.au. Walking the fairways and the greens with the Aussie stars at home and away. Golf Australia's Inside the Ropes. And one last global thing, Andy, before we move on to yes. the next pressing matter. A uh, big thumbs up to Brad Kennedy, who's moved into the top 10 Australian ranked golfers in the official world golf rankings with another great performance in Japan. So these guys in the Asian region just continue to churn it out. And uh, Brad Kennedy, hopefully we'll get him on in a couple of weeks, just moving up quietly 
ever efficiently is now number eight, I think, in the Australian rankers rankings in the world. So where, is he, he's inside 150 now on a world ranking? He's around yeah, 150, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is fantastic. Uh, if you're listening to Inside the Ropes... Um, Podcast. Don't forget there are state versions available as well. So we're talking, you know, national and global here on Inside the Road. So there are also state um, episodes available. Go to golfdoll.org.au if you want to find out your state specific um, version as well and have a listen to the various bits and pieces taking place in your neck of the woods. Um, before we get to uh, general business and say goodbye, the International Women's Golf Day was midweek. And really important in terms of growing the game, this is, a, this is obviously an initiative that started in other parts of the world. It wouldn't necessarily be as we walk into our winter over here in Australia if we we're going to sort of uh, time it for our best time of the year for it. But it is something that I noticed, you know, golf courses, golf clubs, golf shops all over the place were embracing here in Australia. And I think it's a, obviously a really important growth area of Australian golf. Let's get more women. We saw the participation report that we spoke about on last week last week's podcast revealing the sort of data that reveal which is troubling in terms of, you know, attracting women to the game. Jack Ford um, has done a lot of stuff in her media career and in her sporting career and she's a recent convert to the great game of golf. She's got uh, um, an Instagram page that she started up such as become her love of the game of golf on the red tee and Jack Ford's been good enough to join us uh, inside the ropes to tell us about why and how she became um, uh, so interested in the game of golf. Jack, uh, thanks for joining us on the show. Lovely. Thank you very much. Good to uh, chat to you about women and women's golf and getting more women involved in the sport. So what, how did you get involved in it? Because I've known you for a long time, but I never knew that you were a fan of the great game. How long ago did your love affair with golf begin? I would say as majority of women, definitely thanks to good old dad. So uh, dad took me out for a hit. I think most women's dads probably take them out. Um, and then you get a little bit tired of the dad jokes, unfortunately, <laughs> i.e. why did the golfer wear two pairs of pants? You must have the answer to that one, in case you've got a hole in one. <laughs> there you go, thank you. Well done. <laughs> yeah, so um, you know, dad, it turned out to be actually quite good, but then I actually didn't really have anyone to play with after that, so I sort of drifted off into not doing anything until I actually met uh, Hazy. Uh, um, out about, and he offered to uh, have a game of golf with me at Smart Haze, and I thought, God, I better have a couple of lessons. So I went to have some lessons, and I met a whole bunch of women at a women's clinic, and I put on social media that I was having a hit, and it did a little snowball from there. And uh, it's fantastic. So this community of um, female golfers that you're uh, discovering on your Instagram page, just yep. putting your love of the game out there, yep. are there many like-minded women uh, in the similar situation to you, and to that end, a, 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 an initiative like the International Women's Golf Day, how significant is that? That's huge because it's definitely a confidence factor, I would say, with women in golf. Getting um, a lot of the women at women's clinic, getting them from the clinic and the driving range out to the golf course is actually a huge quantum leap. I think probably because there's a lot of myths out there about um, women on a golf course. A couple of them are probably, be, you have to be a member of a course, you have to have a handicap, you have to play 18 holes, um, it's expensive, that you have to be good. Having been out on many courses now, uh, letting a lot of the guys play through because they're too nervous to tear up in front of them, um, <laughs> they're actually not that good. They smash it onto the next fairway. <laughs> so, so I've learned actually that, you know, um, you just have to get 
get your group of girls together, probably go out on a Sunday afternoon, probably go out maybe, you know, around about 3 p.m. on a Sunday in summer when it's not so busy, um, uh, just to get your confidence up, I think. It's, it's safe to say you have to break the mould, isn't it? Like get get your girls out there in a little group and, yeah. and, and break down the stereotypes and, and, and make people uh, feel more accepting that women are, are going to be part of this game and get rid of that absolute rubbish that just kept them out of clubs for so long. Um, do you feel like you're starting to make ground on that front, Jack? Definitely. I know with me, like when I put it on my Facebook page or my Instagram that I'm you know getting out about, the amount of people that I that are friends of mine that don't know that I like to play golf and want to have a go. Yeah. A lot of my male friends actually, they might, you know, have a handicap of three. They'll go out and play with me and that gives me more confidence. So you sort of can create your own community as well. Um, I've got the golfettes, I've got the red tees, I've got lots of different people that I know go out and play with. Um, but definitely it started off by taking part in a women's clinic. So you'll go to the clinic for the hour, then you'll go for coffee afterwards, you'll make friends, um, then you'll head out to the golf course. Um, and, and you need to have a good first experience, though. So I probably go out with someone who's been out before. Um, I think that's really important. I think it's a great. I think that is a great tip. And you know what? If there's, I would imagine we've got a majority of males listening to this, and probably males who are members of golf clubs and guys who play a lot of golf. I think it's a, it's. It's our responsibility. It's upon I us. think it is. I really yeah. reckon it is. I have three daughters. I got a wife who is actually a really naturally good hitter of the golf ball. I've got to get them out on. I want to get them out on the golf course, um, and I think it's really important that we do for the future of the game. We we know that you know there are stresses that are being applied to the game of golf that need to be withstood, and we need more it's, players. It's know? the great growth area. No it's, doubt it's it is. It's a great potential growth area. And the, the number that we need to look at is twenty-one, basically 21% of uh, golfers in Australia are women, if you go by membership numbers. that That is similar to a lot of different countries in the world. I think Canada might be a bit higher than that, but uh, in America it's similar to that. So that's the number we need to get up. We need, you know, And I, I think that, that, that it's happening. Jack, we, you're going on. I, 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 I do think, though, too, there's a few... Um, other myths out there, the fact you can wear your active wear, you can go to a public golf course, you can just rock up. There's a lot of drinking involved, a lot of shopping involved at the post shops, a lot of talking involved. <laughs> and for me, it's a plus a lot of men, so I don't see what, you know, there's no downside. <laughs> I thought having played with Hazy, I thought you would have... You know, I haven't got that. out there yet, actually. Okay. <laughs> no, we'll get you. Well, the, hey, the inside the ropes, folks, will take you out for a game one day. Lovely, thank you. All right. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, it, it, your your wife, Andy, and, and all those people, it doesn't matter whether they take it up permanently, mm. it's more the fact that they feel like they can go out there and have Spot a whack on. by themselves at any time without feeling overwhelmed by the staid traditions and boring nature of the history of golf. Hey, Jack, do you mind if we steer people towards your Instagram page? This could be You could be our standard bearer for all this sort of stuff. You could be our, our, our woman on Absolutely. point. So if, 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 if anyone's going for a hit, then I'm up for it. Right, if anybody's listening to this and they want to get, um, and you're a female listening to it and you want to make the first step uh, and find like-minded people on the red tee, uh, just go, do I need to give any more in terms of helping no, people find right. that? That's okay. it. Yeah, Instagram. That'll do. So mm-hmm. um, find Jack Ford, and she will introduce you to a community of women who are like you, think they love the game of golf, but never, maybe not know exactly how to make that first step. Jack, good on you. Uh, it's a voice that we should hear more of, and um, and these are the sorts of stories we should hear more of. Thanks for joining us Thanks, on the show. Jack. 
My pleasure anytime. Bye. Good on you, Jack Ford. Uh, great stuff. That's infectious, and there should be more of it. She's a bubbly character and, and really good. That's the, that's the attitude we want. And just further on, before we leave that, Andy, International Women's Golf Day was on June 6th. Only the second year it's been operational. As you say, in winter, not a great time for Australians. But uh, as an international thing, we just have to roll with the punches that we get given on that date. Well, yeah. But I will, I will say that um, enterprises like Big Swing Golf got right behind it around Australia this year. The different, um, uh, what's the word I'm after? Programs. Here? The, the uh, simulator oh, yeah, yep, set, setups that uh, Big Swing Golf have to offer. And I know the one in Melbourne City the other night yep. had 70 women involved. And, you know, they loved it. And they had a bit of coaching. They had a, a wine or a soft drink or anything afterwards and had a bit of a chat. And they're suddenly a community. And, and that's they, all it takes on. here. And, and kudos for everyone. It's only a small thing at the moment, International Women's Golf Day. But, you know, we'll, we'll revisit this next year and it'll be much bigger, I promise. Yeah, that was Ross Flanagan, who's got a store in town. And so they come along, they get they have some food, they have a glass of champagne, introduced to one another, some tip, some you know, some coaching tips. Not over the top, just the absolute fundamental basics if they don't know them already. And they walk out of the place with some friends, yep. with an experience that was fun, and a seven-iron. They get a complimentary seven-iron to take home. So they can just sort of whack around and, and practice the swing, which Brilliant. it's fantastic, I reckon. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Walking the fairways and the greens with the Aussie stars at home and away. Golf Australia's Inside the Ropes. The other thing we should say there is if you happen to live in the Adelaide area or greater Adelaide area, get yourself out to uh, Kiyonga Golf Club in February next year and watch the Women's Australian Open Great play. Idea. Because that, that's where you know you can get up close to the very best players in the world because that field is red hot. It's part of the LPGA Tour. And uh, they're great to watch. I, I even know a lot of men who, who like watching the women's players, even probably more than the men, because the game of professional women's golf probably equates more to us than, mm. than the men's game, which is just out of this world. You go and watch Dustin Johnson, well, that's great, but he, he blows at 350 yards. Mm. So, uh, Whereas if you go to the Women's Open, it's fantastic to watch and it probably inspires a lot of young girls. So general business before we wrap it up, I've got a few bits and pieces here. We do need to be mindful of the time. Anyone want to kick it off with observations or points I want to raise about the game or individuals within the game kind of around the world this Only week? A quick one for me, Andy. I, was just, I like flicking around the, uh, the web and I, I found this weird golf site yesterday trumpgolfcount.com it's oh, yes. it's a it's a uh, a website that's devoted itself to the number of times that Donald Trump has played golf whilst being president of the United States and it's now up to 26 now, outstanding uh, uh, it's 26 times it is well ahead of Obama so I was just going to throw that in you know the troubling thing about that and this go this rings true for all of us I reckon you go to the golf course to get away from work not to do work so he's in the first 100 days or whatever, whatever it is of his administration. We shouldn't get too political about all this. But 
I presume he's like us. He goes to the golf course to get away from work for a couple of hours. I don't think he's got his uh, attaches attached to him and he's pumping out the uh, legislative uh, well, changes he, while he's he out on with, the golf course. He was with Peyton Manning this week. I did see that. I he did see Peyton that. Peyton Manning, the great NFL quarterback of <sighs> recent years. Go on. Is that oh, a I sigh of frustration? Oh, I think that says what everything. A, what a, yeah, I can't even say Have it. you got anything for us? Well, I just, just want to add, and probably should have put it in our round the world thing, but a big kudos to Cam John. Um, who is a, Ooh, a Vic, Victorian amateur, the Australian junior champion, uh, played, got a start with along with Matias Sanchez in the Cologne Korean Open last week and absolutely acquitted himself beautifully. Had one round that I'd rather, I'm sure he'd rather he took back. Other than that, finished, uh, I think, really nicely midfield in a really hot field of young Korean talent. Um, still as an amateur, um, really making his way. There are a couple of other P- Australian PGA Tour pros there, Jeffress and a handful of others mm. who did really well as well. But, um, yeah, keep your eye on Cam John. If he can hold his own in a, a lot of Cameron, really... There's a lot of Camerons around at the moment. It's getting too confusing. There are. But, if, if you know, in a, in a tough country to play in, mm. Mm. Um, and his first crack at it, really commendable performance. Well, that segues nicely into one of mine. Um, speaking of Korean golfers, have you been keeping an eye on the recent... Um, professional world is Siwoo Kim. Wins the players, obviously, yeah. right? And we think, well, here he is, this meteoric talent and um, the kid's going to be a phenom and who knows where he's going to go. Um, Could to go in the army. Is that right? He's going to have to do his time, is he? Is that about to... Is that, I'm not sure. Okay. Well, so he wins the players a couple of weeks ago. In his last... In his 17 tournaments either side of that, so he wins the players, fifth major, all that sort of stuff. In his 17... In, sorry, in his 14 tournaments either side of that, He's withdrawn four times, and he's missed six cuts. <laughs> and and his finishes, his full-field finishes, tie 22 Texas, tie 30 in the match play, tie 49 Arnold Palmer, tied 72 in the WGC event in Mexico. So he doesn't really stick his nose in the frame. In the middle of all of that, he wins the place. This is one of those careers that you think, it's either all duck or no dinner for this fella. And, yeah. and the fact that he's walking away from time, like withdrawing from events. We talked about Nathan Holman last week. I always find that worrying. I'm always worried why a young player WDs r- routinely, um, well, whether it's injury-related or some other thing that affects him in a tournament where he's not playing well. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but it's a bit of a watch on Siwoo Kim for me. Mm. He's not got sure what's some, happening with him. He's mm. got some amazing shot-making ability. We saw his driver oh, off the wild. deck uh, at, you know, at various times. He just rips it like very few in the world can, so... Maybe it's all f- up above the shoulders with him. Andy. And flies economy. And flies you economy know, when he goes home after winning the players' right. champion. He flew economy. Rich Beam <laughs> won a USPGA and, and sort of nothing much afterwards. I mean, it's, it's that kind of game that you can bob up in a week. That is true. That is true. Uh, any other bits and pieces before we wriggle out? That's it. We're done for Inside the Ropes, Episode 3. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, subscribe on iTunes, your favourite podcast app, or Stitcher if you want to stay involved with the show. Uh, those bits and pieces will make it as easy as possible for you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week to do it all again.